Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Banter Podcast, episode 53. This is your host, Ben Cohen. I'm here with my co-host, Mike Luciano. Mike, again this week, uh, is unable to introduce himself because... Mike? I'm, I'm exasperated. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, what... Well, what do you, what do you want to talk about today? I mean, do you want to talk about the police shooting of uh, an unarmed black man in uh, Minnesota? Do you want to talk about the police shooting of an unarmed Hispanic person in Chicago? Do you want to talk about the mass shooting that has left eight people dead in Indianapolis? I mean, what? Where do we start here? I understand why you, why you're not feeling um, too peppy today. I get it. It's been a rough week again in america uh as the pandemic seems to die down the shootings seem to go up so we we kind of know that america is back right doing what america does best which is shooting shooting on our black men and and minorities it's just fucking crazy i mean granted in a country of 330 million people there are going to be your fair share of crazy things happening racist things happening violent things happening but all this shit is just happening on a far too regular basis. And I don't, you know, presume this is a podcast with presumably two well-informed hosts, but I'm here to tell you, I, I don't have any answers for what ails this country. And again, I, I'm at a loss for words. I'm, I'm fucking exasperated. And I, I just, I don't know what the answer is to, you know, all these police shootings, all these mass shootings. I, it's just, I don't know, Ben. Yeah, it's a tough one really, isn't it? I mean, um, it's the same, it's the, it's the age old problem. I mean, I remember the days when, do you remember when Sandy Hook happened? I mean, you had a, I mean, how can anybody forget that? Sandy Hook Elementary School, where I don't know how many five-year-olds were murdered. I think it was like 20. It was like 26 yeah. and seven-year-olds, and I think it was like six teachers. And I remember that very well. It was a Friday afternoon. I remember being at work on the news desk at Mike.com, and that happened. And everyone was just like, holy fucking shit. I mean, and we all thought. Here's how naive we were. We thought that that was going to bring about sensible gun control. We thought that like actual gun reforms would be made at the federal level, right? Because 20 little kids and their teachers had been murdered. So it's like, all right, surely things have to change after this. Well, it turns out nothing changed after that, not at the federal level anyway. Right. And, and, you know, I think it's sort of, uh, I've got a British, a British friend who lives in America. Uh, he's a transplant like me. And I, you know, both of us, you know, his, his, his theory is that it's sort of an initiation process into becoming an American when you, when you become desensitized to mass shootings, when you just, you look at it and go, Oh, there's another one. And then you get on with your day. So that's a that's that's a very it's a fundamental part of becoming an American is 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 basically that moment when there's a mass shooting and you look at the news, you turn it off and you go, okay, what's for dinner? That's really what it takes to become an American. Right. And and like, you know, he's sort of half not joking, but you know, he, he wasn't totally being serious. But the the more I think about it, the more I, I sort of understand that that yeah, you know, that is essentially what 
what you have to do. Like, like now when I see a mass shooting, I, you know, like I, I, I trans, you know, I don't know how I process it. I process it and I'm sad for a while. And then I, t- I have to just look away because it's just, you know what I mean? It's like, it's too much almost. It's too much. So you just sort of become desensitized to it. All right. So we had, we had two, the two main police shootings in last week since we last recorded. Uh, the first is the shooting of Dante Wright in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, not far from where George Floyd was, in my opinion, murdered last year by Derek Chauvin, who knelt on his neck. Officer Derek Chauvin, who knelt on his neck for nine and a half minutes. And the jury will begin deliberations in that murder trial on Monday. So Dante Wright, uh, let's, this is from the New York times. Now, according to chief Tim Gannon, who has since resigned, uh, according to Gannon of the Brooklyn center police department, officers pulled Mr. Wright over on Sunday afternoon for a traffic violation related to expired registration tags. Officers then discovered that he had a warrant for his arrest. As police tried to detain Mr. Wright, he stepped back into his car prompting a brief struggle with officers. In graphic body camera footage shown to reporters on Monday, one officer can be seen pointing a handgun at him and shouting, Taser. After the car pulls away, the officer yells an obscenity and says, I just shot him. To two other officers, according to the video, the car traveled several blocks and struck another vehicle. The police and medical workers pronounced Mr. Wright dead at the scene. That is in the New York Times. I have watched this video and I don't have a take on this. More like a series of thoughts, okay, that really don't, that won't have a welcome home in, in, in any narrative. My first thought is pulling this guy over. He's 20 years old and he has a kid. I believe he's two years old. So and he was driving his mother's car. He was pulled over for expired tags. Now, that is not something that you need to be pulled over for. That's something that you can just get a ticket in the mail, like I did once upon a time for having an, ins- an expired inspection sticker, right? So like it had been expired for like a week. I hadn't been able to get around to renewing my inspection sticker. And one day I just got a ticket in the mail from police and I had never been stopped over it. I hadn't been, you know, I hadn't been stopped. Presumably they saw me while I was driving or while the car was parked somewhere. And the cop wanted to cite me, but didn't want to bother actually having an interaction with me. So, so number one, this is something that just could have been done that way. And number two, it's quite possible that Dante Wright was pulled over for driving while black which is a thing that happens. You know, a a black person is driving through the quote-unquote wrong neighborhood or they're driving a car that doesn't look like they should be driving in the eyes of a racist cop. So that is quite possibly part of the equation. But so they pull him over for this petty offense. They run his information and they find out there is a warrant for his arrest 
relating to a gun charge for which he missed a court appearance. So at that point, they're going to take him in, right? Because there's a, there's a warrant out for him relating to a gun charge. And in the video, they have him up against his car, the side of the driver's side of his car, and they are about to put the handcuffs on him. And then he suddenly bolts back into the car, which nothing good can come from doing that. Mm-hmm. Nothing good can come from – because, I look, I don't know if they had searched the car by that point or not, but if you're the cops at that point, your mind has to be thinking, why is he going back in the car? Is there something in the car that – I need to be worried about. Is there a gun in there? Is there a weapon in there of, of some kind? Or is he just going to get behind the wheel and, and flee in a 3,000 pound vehicle driving at top speed? Like, I don't, that's what's going through your mind if you're one of those cops. Then, of course, one of the cops who apparently can't tell the difference between her firearm and her taser pulls out her firearm. And is saying in the video, taser, taser, and ends up discharging her firearm when she says she meant to uh, discharge her, her taser. So I, I don't – again, I don't really have a take. Those are just a series of thoughts I have. Dante Wright should be alive right now. He should not have been shot. There, there is just some gross at, – at bare minimum, there is just gross negligence on the part of the cops – there is perhaps some racism, which led to the stop in the first place. But I, Ben, those are just my thoughts thinking out loud. I, I think it's one of these situations where I, I understand, like, I, I definitely, so look, I'm not of the opinion that all cops are racist and that, the, that, that um, you know, the, the, the police should be, you need to defund the police or abolish the police, right? I'm, I'm certainly not in that camp at all, right? And I do understand. I, I've, like, you know, look, I've taught, and trained martial arts for, you know, 20 years, um, a long, long time. I've been in the, the, the martial arts world. I've trained with cops and I have trained cops with martial arts. And every single one of them I've met has been a good, a good person. All, like all of them good, re, you know, really good, conscientious, nice, um, you know, trying to do their job well. Right. I also, you know, but I'm obviously aware of, <laughs> the fact that there are some real, there's some arsehole cops. There are some very, very bad policemen um, and police women. So, you know, and, and that the institution as a whole, right, it's sort of, if you look at through the history of, of policing in America, um, it, it's a sort of a racist institution. Um, originally, obviously, it's not, you know, it's not what it, what it used to be. Um, they're not out there patrolling um, and looking for escaped slaves anymore, but that's, that, that was the kind of the, the origins of, of the police in America. Um, so, you know, look, I have a lot of sympathy for cops and I understand that they have a remarkably difficult job um, and they have to make life and death decisions in the, in the blink of an eye and they fuck up right they they make bad decisions you know um but the evidence now is just overwhelming right about how many black they, they always seem to make mistakes when it's a young black man right the the the, the black men are killed at twice the rate of black 
of of white men when it comes when they are arrested by the police. It, the number is is just is terrible, right? It's absolutely appalling, um, and I think this is just another example of the police having far too like in the UK people get pulled over all the time, right? You get pulled over um for uh that kind of thing and you might get arrested as well if you have a warrant out for your arrest but the police don't have guns in the uk so they can't shoot you right so as a result i think the police like last year in britain killed one person i think they shot one person right that's crazy right it's It's good it's It's good good. yeah it's crazy to think about so they say oh well you know did this you know was this guy a threat like look if you take the guns out of the equation right if the police weren't so basically heavily armed um then they can't kill people right so obviously you know it's not just that simple the fact you've got a heavily armed public as well means that the police are probably incredibly paranoid about who's carrying a gun who isn't carrying a gun so they, you know, um, and I'm sure that there's a lot of racial bias that goes into assuming that if you're black, you're probably a gangster. And if you're a gangster, you're probably carrying a gun. That's probably the thought process that a lot of police go through. Right. Um, so, you know, you, but but for me, this is an argument for A, for gun control and B, for to we really do have to, like, as, as Obama said, reimagine what policing is. In America, you know, why do they? Why can you get shot? Why does why does your life have to end because you tried to run away from the police? Like that's crazy that you're that that that's a that's a death sentence for running away from the police. You know, it's we mentioned the mass shooting earlier. It's it's kind of like this, you know, with, with police shootings and mass shootings, like they're they kind of like reinforce each other. I, I remember. The North Hollywood shootout in in like 1997. I don't know if you remember this, Ben, but these two guys they robbed a bank and they were heavily armed. They were like, and they had full body armor and they were armed to the fucking teeth. And for like, I want to say it was like for an hour, they had this shootout with police who at the time like. I mean, they were just packing pistols and these guys were, were packing like military grade weapons. And one of the, the results of this and, and somehow no, like no cops died, right? The, just the two suspects died, uh, which was a fucking miracle. But one of the lessons the LAPD and police across the country took away from this was we need our police to be armed more. Right. We, and it's this kind of like feeds into the whole like militarization of police. And I'm not saying like this had an effect on this particular shooting in the shooting of Dante. Right. But I just think like, you know, gun violence among the civilian population has a tendency to reinforce the notion that our police need to be heavily armed and yeah, these these are two like they they reinforce one another. Like I just they're related problems. I think we have a heavily armed population. We have more guns than people in this country. I think we have like 400 million guns. And it's a situation where cops often assume the worst. 
right? When, when somebody makes a, a furtive move, when somebody like reaches for a door or a drawer or something like that, and, and it's not completely unreasonable just because we have just such a pervasive gun culture in this country. And I just, again, I, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I can <laughs> think it up. I can think up and it's like, all right, get rid of a lot of the guns. But, you know, realistically, that's not going to happen. America's not going to get rid of his guns anytime soon, right? But, I mean, I think, you know, f- f- one thing, I've always thought that ha- being able to hold gun manufacturers uh, responsible um, w- would be a good start. Uh, I think that would be a, a good way of, of getting some accountability. Like maybe, maybe you know, using lawsuits to to attack gun manufacturers and bullet bullet manufacturers would be a good way of doing it. Um, I mean, look in the UK, you need to have if you want a gun, you can get a gun in the UK. If you live like in in a, on a farm, you can get a gun, but you have to sign. You have to get. I think it's three independent psychologists to sign off on your mental, basically fitness to be able to, 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 to own a firearm. So I don't see why, can't we have something like that? In a, like, why is this so difficult? Why is this such a sort of, such a big deal to have serious background checks? Um, I mean, like an assault weapons ban would be an app. That would be just an absolute, you know, that, that, that's a no brainer, right? So there are obviously there's some sensible legislation that you, you, you could do, but there are, I think there are some sort of um, some lawsuits. There are legal challenges that you could you could make, right? You could uh, in terms of like with gun manufacturers and bullet manufacturers. Um, but yeah, otherwise I'm just not sure. I mean, maybe things can be done at the state level. At a, in a in, uh, you know that would be one way to start it. Um, I mean, I, I you know here in in Maryland the laws are quite strict. Um, they differ greatly from from Virginia. Uh, Virginia is is open carry. You can have um, assault rifles. There are all sorts of things that you can't have, do in Maryland. So it does vary state by state. So, I mean, you know, I don't know. I'm at a loss. Like I, I obviously federal action is needed here, but there isn't. They just you, we just don't have the political a political coalition strong enough or powerful enough to do anything about it. It comes down to again the very boring and slow process of eking out elect, you know, victories um, during the midterms, you know, and during the presidency, you have to ensure that the Democrats control every branch of government if you want sensible gun control passed. And you have to continue ensuring that Democrats control, you know, that they, that their majorities are commanding so that the House and the Senate yeah, they they have commanding majorities, so they can get some real stuff done. Um, I think that's that's really it. Like I, you know, I, I don't know. You know, it's it's a really shitty situation, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. Yeah, and the other police shooting that I referenced earlier was in Chicago uh, of Adam Toledo, and this actually happened on March 29th, but the body cam footage was released last week. And this is again, New York times recap. 
In the early morning hours of March 29, two officers had been responding to reports of gunfire when they saw two people in an alley and started to chase them, officials said. Prosecutors have said that Adam was holding a gun when he ran down the alley as an officer called for him to stop and drop the weapon. In the moment before the shooting, Adam can be seen holding what appears to be a gun behind his back, which he drops behind a wooden fence just before he raises his hands, according to an analysis of police videos by the New York Times. So that's the New York Times. I will say his lawyer, the, the lawyer for his family is now say, is saying that he was not holding a gun. So there's that. But I have seen this video and he is compliant. Uh, the, the cop is chasing him. The cop is swearing at him to get his hands up. And that's exactly what he does. He puts up his hands and he turns around to face the officer and the officer shoots him. It's so fucking egregious. The the video it's in my opinion it's even more infuriating than the than the Dante Wright video cuz I mean here's a he's 13 years old and here he is he's complying with the cops orders and he gets shot anyway. So I uh, like again, you know there, there's nothing to, I have I have nothing to add to this. Uh, although you might be interested to know that uh Sean Hannity in his retelling of this story uh, referred to Adam Toledo as a, quote, 13-year-old man. Yeah, because of course, right? Yeah, Ben, Ben, what, can you tell me what a 13-year-old man is? Uh, it, this means a, a non-white child. Right, exactly. And, and you'll notice, and many people have pointed this out, that you remember Kyle Rittenhouse, who went to a 17-year-old who last year went to a protest in Wisconsin he drove in from out of state or had his mom drive him, and he went there armed with a rifle, and he ended up killing two people. He was referred to in conservative circles as a boy or a child, right? 17-year-old white kid who drove into a protest from out of state looking for trouble, and trouble is what he got. And he's, according to right-wing media, a boy or a child. But when it comes to a 13-year-old complying with police officers' orders, that's a man, apparently. The rules on the right wing are, are very confusing when it comes to, uh, you know, what, who constitutes an adult and who is a child. You know, and I just, I can't bear to sort of listen to the right wing media discuss these shootings because, you know, it, it gets so distorted um, and so, you know, the fact that it, what what a, what a sort of uh, Freudian slip right there, thirteen year old man, right? Because obviously, just it's just an, an insight into what's going on in Sean Hannity's tiny little brain, right? That that this is a because it's a a minority, um, you know, it's not not a white child. It's then it's a thirteen year old man, right? Which just you know. They defend cops no matter what. Um, the right, there's a whole kind of industry. The whole right wing media ecosystem is designed to, you know, the reason why they do it, the reason why they distort the facts, obviously, is because you know the police are wildly popular with um, in in right wing circles um, and with Republican voters. And, <laughs> unless they're defending the Capitol building and being murdered by Trump supporters, then no one gives a shit about them. Apparently. Uh, so, you know, the, the kind of hypocrisy and idiocy is just 
it's 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 just depressing. It's depressing beyond belief, and I don't know how you know the country sort of. How can you even have a sensible conversation about this when we're talking about a Latino kid as a thirteen-year-old man, right? As if that somehow justifies him being shot because that's what they're trying to. That's what they're trying to do in the right in the right-wing media echo chamber. They're trying to lay the foundations you know, for some sort of coherent defense of this cop who shot a child to death while he unarmed and having his hands up. So, yeah, I mean, it's just goddamn depressing. Another sign that the police have too many guns, too much power, uh, and we have to rethink policing. I mean, you know, perhaps if we do manage to pass sensible police reform, um, and stop them from shooting unarmed people and unarmed children, then you never know. Maybe, maybe gun control becomes a more, um, you know, it, it actually becomes a more sort of uh, um, desirable outcome because if you think about it, right? If 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 uh, the police are hamstrung, if the police have um, uh, aren't allowed to use their weapons all the time, then they may then say, okay, well, look, like you know, we don't we don't want more. You know, we like we want to get guns off the street, which is obviously you know would a win-win situation for everybody. Less police brutality, less guns, less violence, less gun deaths. Right. Wishful thinking, I know, but you wishful, know. wishful thinking. Obviously, we're in need of some serious police reform, and I, I think that brings us to uh, our segment, doesn't it? What's the word, um, Mike? Do you have the? Do you remember it this week? Yeah. Okay. So the segment is: What crazy fucking thing did a Republican say this week? We're going to flip the script. Yep, I'm going to flip the script. Uh, actually, we both are. As happened after the murder of George Floyd last year, after the, the killing of Dante Wright last week, there has been a call among certain segments of the left to defund the police. So defund the police. And I remember being on this podcast a year ago with you saying the same thing, like, this is not helpful. This is unhelpful sloganeering. And in fact, to, to see the kinds of, to get the kinds of changes that we would like to see when it comes to policing, that's probably going to cost more money, right? Like more training, right? More oversight, more accountability. So defund the police both practically and politically to me does not make a lot of sense. Uh, so in our segment for what crazy fucking thing did Republicans say this week, it's actually for me, what crazy fucking thing did a Democrat say this week? And that is Rashida Tlaib, who is a Congresswoman from Michigan. And she tweeted about the Dante Wright killing. It wasn't an accident. Policing in our country is inherently and intentionally racist. Okay. Dante Wright was met with aggression and violence. I am done with those who condone government-funded murder. Okay. No more policing, incarceration, and militarization. It can't be reformed. Not okay. Not okay. I mean... Rashida Tlaib is a lawmaker, and if she wants to say that law enforcement – because that's what she's talking about here at the end of the day when she says no policing. She's basically saying no more law enforcement. 
So if you're a lawmaker and you're calling for no more law enforcement, then just quit. Resign from Congress and go home because you need law enforcement. Okay, we you might have problems and we certainly do with how law enforcement is conducted in this country, as we have been documenting this episode and in previous episodes. But you can't come out and say, end policing, end incarceration. Really? What are you what are you going to do with a murderer or a rapist or somebody who attacks a person of color in a hate crime? Like, what do you do? Like, if you're a person of color and you're attacked because you're a person of color, because you're Muslim, black, Hispanic, what, Asian, right? If there's no policing, like, what are you going to do? What's your recourse? What is your recourse? And so this is the kind of empty sloganeering that it, it just doesn't make sense. Practically, it is a political loser USA Today did a poll on this earlier this year on defund the police. Just 20% of respondents support the defund the police movement, and 58% oppose it. Only 28% of black people support defunding the police. So I don't know who this is for other than left-wing activists, but this is just kind this is just mindless sloganeering. That is not helpful. And do you know who loves to see defund the police rhetoric coming from Democrats the most? It's not left wing activists. It's fucking Republicans. They love when Democrats and liberals talk about defunding the police because they will run on that all day long. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that, you know, why Trump did so well. Uh, in um, in the in the election, why he wasn't completely annihilated because they successfully latched on to a lot of Democrats who were, um, you know, promoting this kind of stuff, right, and saying that you know he just kept tweeting out law and order, law and order, law and order, right. And when you're speaking to the masses, uh, particularly the Republican masses, those kind of things trigger a kind of a Pavlovian response with like you know must vote out Democrats. Um, because yeah, like you know, it's it's kind of ridiculous. I've actually had arguments with liberals about this, about they, you know, they're talking about defunding the police, and you just think, okay, uh, have you thought about that for you know more than two seconds? Um, and invariably, they haven't, um, or they don't mean they don't necessarily actually mean defund the police, right? They they're not um, they're not entirely sure, like you know, what exactly, what exactly what they mean. They think, oh, well, I'll defund it a little bit. It's like, look, why don't you stop saying defund the police? Because it's not fucking helping at all. It really isn't helping, right? Reform the police, something like that. Reform the police. It sounds a lot better to, you know, you don't have to explain that one. You don't have to go into detail about it. Reform the police. That's an easy slogan to remember, Right, you're not talking about banning the police. You're not talking about, um, you know, making sure that uh, they, you know, they can't function properly as a as a as an organisation. You're just talking about reforming them, which obviously we need. But yeah, so I, I agree. This is, you know, I don't know why they do this. Elected Democrats as well. I don't know. They're playing to the base. I'm not sure, but it's not helpful. Trying to win elections not helpful. Yeah, it's like the old saying in politics, if you're explaining, you're losing, right? So if you're saying defund the police, but you mean something other than defunding the police, it's just a bad slogan. 
But anyway, so uh, Ben, what do you got for what crazy fucking thing did a Republican say this week? So, so my crazy fucking thing that a Republican said this week. Well, you know, it sort of is a Republican. Um, this is uh, so I have to do a little bit of uh, explaining for this one. In fact, um, so look, um, as people will have, will know by now, that Biden um, announced that they are withdrawing all troops from Afghanistan. Um, so, you know, on Wednesday, he announced his intention to complete the withdrawal of all military forces from Afghanistan by September. So that's 20 years after the, the terrorist attacks that led to the American armed forces going there in the first place. Uh, that's two decades worth of war. Um, you know, probably a good decision, I think, from what I can understand. Uh, I, it's about time we got the hell out of there. Um, so, obviously, Glenn Greenwald, our favourite power, Glenn Greenwald, um, should have been absolutely delighted by this, should have been over the moon that Joe Biden was pulling troops out of Afghanistan, right? Because he has railed against Democrats, centrist Democrats who voted for the Iraq war and voted for the Afghanistan war. Uh, and Joe Biden has been, he's gone after Joe Biden, he's gone after Obama. Um, even though Glenn Greenwald actually did support the original um, Iraq war, which is a little known fact that he did, um, support the support the invasion of Iraq. So he spent the rest of his career um, going after anybody who made exactly the same choice that he did. But nevertheless, so what does Glenn Greenwald do in response to Biden's um, uh, announcement that they're going to be withdrawing troops from Afghanistan? Glenn Greenwald instead starts to tweet out uh, neo uh, neocon. Um, never Trumpers like you know like Max Boot and Bill Crystal who have come out against it right so Max Boot and and Bill Max Boot writes the U.S. is abandoning all the girls going going to school all the women in the workforce all the brave soldiers fighting the Taliban all the young entrepreneurs starting businesses all the government officials trying to build a fragile democracy Bill Crystal writes it's been a difficult and frustrating war but preventing terror attacks from afghanistan and preventing a taliban takeover have i think been worth it it continues to be worth it why withdraw and risk kabul falling and all that might follow from that right um so this is what glenn greenwald decides to highlight after joe biden announces um the withdrawal right he Glenn Greenwald tweets, Democrats waking up and realizing that their favorite neocon pundits love war more than anything else and want it to last forever as they cheer for it and demand its endless continuation from a far away and safe distance. Instead of praising Biden, instead of saying, this is great, thank God we're finally going to be out of, um, of Afghanistan, you know, credit to Biden for doing this. Anything, anything mild and positive, right? No. Glenn Greenwald has to attack Democrats. He has to attack uh, moderate Democrats or the Democratic Party at literally any given opportunity, right? He, he will use to attack Democrats, even when they're doing things that he likes. So Jonathan Twait Chait actually highlighted Greenwald's tweet and said, hilariously, he said, if you're wondering how Glenn processes the fact that evidence of one Biden taking a position he agrees with and two Biden not in fact being controlled by the neocons it's not it's not by admitting error or praising Biden <laughs> so uh yeah this is Glenn Greenwald this is how Glenn Greenwald processes good news uh he turns it 
another way to go after his mortal enemies, which are people who by and large agree with most of what he says, uh, but aren't quite as militant about it. I mean, what a douchebag. Uh, Glenn, never change. You know, I was a senior in high school when the United States went into Afghanistan, and now I'm an old man yelling at clouds. So I would say that the United States has been there long enough. And and people people will just well, did the United States win the war in Afghanistan, quote unquote win? No. You know, they, well, they went in there to, you know, go get Al-Qaeda and they, they definitely smashed Al-Qaeda up pretty well. But, you know, in terms of uh, – you remember the George W. Bush speech, the United States, we're going to go after the terrorists and the states who harbor them. And, of course, the, the Afghanistan was controlled by the Taliban at the time. Uh, it still is in some ways, at least in some parts of it. And the Taliban is still like – they've been playing the long game this whole time. You know, it's not like a, a Germany or a Japan. It's the, – the Taliban, they don't think in terms of like the nation state. So they've been here to stay. It's, the, it's not like the old days you know, where you used to, okay, you invaded a country, you toppled the government, and then it was all over. A lot of these people, you know, they're motivated by a fundamentalist ideology, and they're here to stay. And, and they're, they're going to lie, you know, they're going to be waiting in the wings for you to leave. And, you know, there are people like Lindsey Graham and others who say, no, 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 we need to stay in Afghanistan. And, you know, will that temper the influence of the Taliban in the state? Yeah, probably, but is it worth keeping a permanent military force in Afghanistan or in a lot of these other countries? Like, is that a price you're willing to pay? And frankly, I I don't think it is. I don't think we should be in Afghanistan, right? It's been 20 fucking years, 20 fucking years. So, no, it's it, it's time to go, and, and good for Biden. I, I will say, I will believe it when I see it. Right. I've heard this. We're going to withdraw from Afghanistan. We're going to withdraw from Iraq before from various presidents. And it turns out like we don't withdraw or we leave a couple of thousand, quote unquote, military advisors behind, which is not a withdrawal. But if Biden gets the the troop presence down to zero, uh, I will commend him. And that's that's a good thing. And as for Glenn Greenwald, I. This fucking guy. <laughs> I mean, Glenn Greenwald, we know he's not he's not conservative, but everything he does seems designed to boost conservatives or at least demonize liberals. So I don't know if there's a word for this. Maybe the Germans have a word for it because they have like a word for everything because they just like – fucking stack words on top of each other to make one big word to get to what exactly you want to describe. But he's a, the effect of his output, whether it's his tweets or Substack articles or his appearances on the, the white nationalist power hour with Tucker Carlson on Fox news, it is basically to cast liberals as the greatest threat facing the nation. Even though I Based on what I know of him in terms of his personal beliefs, 
like his his views don't actually stack up with Tucker Carlson or Sean Hannity in a lot of instances. And yet he he's doing this shtick where he's raking in a good amount of money on Substack by, you know, playing to a conservative audience and kind of like a never Biden liberal audience, if you will. And he's making a, a fair amount of dough off of that. Yeah, you know, I mean, look, I first of all, I, I agree with you on on the on Afghanistan. One of the only reasons why I've ever been dubious about withdrawing from uh, Afghanistan too quickly uh, is because of what happened with ISIS, right? About how quickly um, Iraq fell to ISIS and how quickly, um, you know, the, it's basically the US broke the Middle East, right? They, the invasion, I did not support either the invasion of Afghanistan or the invasion of Iraq. I thought both were poorly conceived, um, illegal, immoral, um, and atrociously executed. Just an absolute disaster, and the and the handling that you know the post-war handling of Iraq and Af- and, and Afghanistan have been worse than you could anybody could have possibly envisioned. It's been absolutely terrible, you know. So I think that having you know, but having broken the place, um, there is a duty. I do think there is a duty by the invading forces to try to clean up some of the mess that they that they've made. As Colin Powell famously told George W. Bush, "If you break it, you own it." Right, um, and there is a vested, you know, there is a sort of there is an interest right in in at least having a somewhat stabilized Middle East for every, for literally for the entire world's benefit. Right, having a some somewhat stable Middle East is in is in everybody's benefit. It works to everybody's advantage. What you don't want is you you don't want to have like you know want the Russians, the Chinese, you don't want um, the Iranians uh, becoming you know uh, going in there and having an absolute field day, uh, carving out their own sphere of influence um, and laying the groundwork for uh, World War Three. Right? I mean, obviously everybody has their influence, but I think that influence has to be a lot more balanced. Um, you know, I think it can't be, I don't think there needs to be one major power in that region. And I think America, you know, the West, Europe and, and America, NATO has its own sort of, um, you know, they, they have their part to play in, in, in ensuring some sort of balance in that region. Uh, so, you know, that's in one of the only reasons why I've been thought, you know, we need to be very careful about getting out of these places and, and not letting them collapse. Um, you know, but yeah, like credit to Joe, credit to Joe Biden. Uh, I think he's doing the right thing. Broadly speaking, he's doing the right thing. Um, and Glenn Greenwald, you know, look, I, what, what, what does he want? What does he want? He, he gets, you know, you could give Glenn Greenwald everything he wanted. You could have Joe Biden give Glenn Greenwald everything he wanted and he would still find a way to hate on Democrats and to hate on the center left and to hate Joe Biden. You know, no matter how much you agree with him on anything, like he's a contrarian, he just exists to troll the left. That's it. And he will take, he will literally pal up, he will, you know, um, make friends with the most disgusting people. I mean, Tucker Carlson is the most disgusting television host. He's the most disgusting host in, in TV news right now. He really is. I mean, the guy is an, is an out and out white nationalist. Uh, and Tucker Carlson and Glenn Greenwald are basically best buds now. And Greenwald does it because I think he knows that it irritates the left. It, 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 it irritates Democrats. 
And that's the only reason why he does it. He doesn't give a shit about going on Tucker Carlson or disseminating, you know, or, or spreading his views there. He he cares about hurting the left. That's it. And he's like, well, you know, no other network will have me on. It's like, bro, you've got your own platform. You've got a Twitter account. 1.6 million people listen to you on Twitter. Just just broadcast yourself on Twitter. You don't need to go on Tucker Carlson. But, you know, here we go. Anyway, so that's my that was my what crazy fucking thing did Republicans say this week is uh, Glenn Greenwald. And yes, he's basically a Republican or no better than one. Yeah, he's probably not. Uh, I don't know if he's a registered voter in the United States at this point because he spends seemingly most of his time in Brazil. But and, and he said things like, uh, you know, well, it's important to go on uh you know, right wing media and stuff like that. And you know what? There's a, there's a case to be made for that. Like we've seen Pete Buttigieg. He's, he's gone on Fox news and he's an excellent communicator, but Glenn Greenwald goes on Fox news to agree with the Fox news hosts. He's not there to challenge them. He's there to reinforce the views of the hosts and the views of the listeners. And again, Greenwald, this is especially lucrative for Greenwald because he's like a, uh, ostensibly he's not actually a conservative, right? And, and he, I think part of his appeal among the right is that he is not a conservative, but nevertheless spends most of his time shitting all over liberals, which is very powerful. It, it, and it can be a, a great sense of, of validation, which is why I think during the Trump era and, and even up till today, you, you know, that never Trump conservatives, right? Like, uh, you know, the Lincoln Project, which is basically just, I mean, they should fucking shut that shit down, especially after all the, the uh, allegations against one of the co-founders. But the Lincoln Project, you know, there was a bunch of uh, conservatives saying how Trump, how awful Trump is. And that that provided a lot of validation for liberals like, oh, see, look, even people on the other side, even these guys on the other side understand how terrible Trump it is, is and how right we are. You know, whereas if they were just some other liberal think tank, I think they'd have a harder time, you know, getting publicity. So I think I, I think that's what is working for Greenwald uh, is this uh, not a conservative, but nonetheless, you know, stating conservative talking points and really leaning into the liberals. Yeah. And uh, he really I think he, he really gets off on it. I genuinely think he he, he gets off on infuriating the left it's like a sort of some sort of perverse sexual pleasure like it's very weird (laughs) following the guy i don't understand i mean you know i i think maybe the guy had a miserable time in high school or something and and i I don't know there's something that he's in that he's playing out in his adult life he's playing out unresolved childhood or or teenage um the issues um, you know, that he has to take it out on everybody else via his Twitter feed most of the time. Um, but it's, yeah, it's really sad. I mean, I did a, I, I tweeted out this week um, uh, a piece I wrote about six years ago on Glenn Greenwald and just how shitty a journalist he is. I wrote this whole thing on them um, uh, when he accused the British regulator, tele, media regulator Ofcom of um, trying to ban uh, RT, formerly known as Russia Today, in, in in the UK for spreading disinformation uh, and I just retweeted it because it was it just kind of highlighted just how shitty a journalist 
Greenwald is. I mean, he really is an appalling journalist. Like, in, in almost every single aspect of this story, he fucked it up. He fucked up literally everything. Um, you know, he missed, He didn't understand that Ofcom, the regulator, was uh, it's not a government organisation, that it's a non-profit organisation um, that's paid for by the industry itself, right? That uh, it, you know, so first of all, he said it was the British government that was trying to, to ban RT, which wasn't the case. Uh, then he started going after Ofcom for not going, you know, for not criticising the BBC or other media outlets for for promoting pro-war content previous to the Iraq War forgetting the fact that or, or at least not having done the research to know that Ofcom didn't even exist pre-Iraq war uh you know absolutely like basic 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 aspects of the story like smearing the chairwoman of of the then Ofcom um by because she worked in a bank or she worked in in finance that she had to therefore be part of the British establishment and biased and and uh, uh, unable to do her job because she was part of the sort of elite. Um, you know, the whole story was just a complete mess. Uh, one of the worst pieces of journalism I've ever seen. And But yet this guy's still taken seriously. Yeah, you know, I, I, I can't understand why people take him seriously. He's, he's, he's a really shitty journalist. As well as being an asshole, he's just not a good journalist. And he's not a good writer either. Like he, like, have you tried to read Glenn Greenwald? Like, reading him is is it's actually quite difficult. It's like being lectured by some sort of uh, demonic preacher who wants to make you feel as small and shitty as as possible. Like, it's a lot of fire and brimstone, you know, like sermons coming from Greenwald. I mean, it's uh, yeah, that I a, re, a real joyless fucker that guy. Yeah, that's the word. You know, even when he makes valid points, he makes them in just such a smug, condescending way. I The guy, it, it just, even people who like him acknowledge he's an asshole. <laughs> I mean, there was a time, Greenwald, you know, I first started reading him during the Bush years, and he would just tear into the Bush administration for warmongering and privacy invasions. And I, I loved it. It was good commentary. And I would still thought, wow, this guy, <laughs> this guy's a, this guy's a major league asshole, but I'm glad he's on our side. And then Obama yeah. becomes president. Obama becomes president and he continues to tear into the white house and like, I got it like, all right, yeah, you know, I don't agree with every criticism he has of Obama, but I understand like he sees himself as, you know, a, a person who's going to speak truth to power, like who, who's that, whoever is in charge, like that's who he's going to go after it. And that's an important, it's an important role. But then when Trump became president, it's like he fucking checked out. He, he absolutely checked out and he spent the Trump years like wailing away at the media and Democrats, and it's like, dude, read read the room. But it was like, just, yeah, it was it was it was crazy though, because because during you know that that was the the right during the Obama years, right? But this is what I started to sense during the Obama years. I was thinking like, this guy is is actually getting off on on going after Obama and riling up the left, right? He actually, I think he really enjoys this. 
you know, because obviously, you know, like some of what he's said, he's not all bad, Green World, right? He's done some good, he has done some good journalism. Uh, he is an intelligent guy. I think that, broadly speaking, I agree with him on a lot of things, um, particularly when it comes to taxes, wealth, um, you know, protecting minorities and 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 whatnot. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot to agree with with, with Greenwald, but he seemed to be getting off on it just too much, going after Obama. And some of the stuff he was he attacked Obama on was just like I'm like really, you know, th- there there aren't any other bigger fish to fry than than you know, uh, than the Democrats in power right now, uh, when you've got, you know, I mean, Noam Chomsky, right. Who is, you could, you couldn't exactly, uh, accuse Chomsky of being, uh, being a centrist. Um, <laughs> right. Like, like Noam Chomsky has repeatedly said that the Republican party is the single most dangerous organization in human history. Right. And his reasoning for that is very straightforward and very clear that it is a uh, it is it is a fascist party number one um, that is essentially dedicated to destroying what is left of uh, our our environment right it, it is a, a pro-war um, neo-fascist neo-fascistic um, anti sort of truth nihilistic organization right that will essentially stop at nothing until it has you know um dismantled our, our the, you know the living our living planet right um and so chomsky has basically urged everybody um to to he urged everyone to to vote for biden um this year he urged everyone to vote for uh, for hillary clinton as well obviously sensing what was about to happen right so you know not seeing how dangerous the Republican Party is. It's crazy. Like, you know, the fact that when Trump was in power, Clint Greenwald said, oh, yeah, you know, it's just business as usual for right-wing politics. It it, it wasn't. It absolutely wasn't. It was an an extremely radicalized version of the Republican Party, an extremely dangerous version of the Republican Party that could have well-ended American democracy as we know it. Right. And still may end American democracy, as we know. We're still not out of the woods yet. We're still, you know, Trump still controls the Republican Party. You know, we're still like the right wing in America is is an existential threat to the republic itself. And anybody who doesn't see that is willfully ignorant or stupid. Um, And I think that I don't understand why why Greenwald doesn't why he doesn't understand this. I mean, it's, it, they, he's being willfully ignorant about it because he's got his little pet topic, which is, you know, bashing Democrats. It's, it's just bizarre that you, couldn't, you can't see what's in front of your nose. I think it comes down to money, money, money. He has found an audience, and he knows what they like, and he is now captured by that audience. Yeah, audience he, capture. Milks the, milks the living fuck out of it. Right. And he makes a good chunk of change on Substack, and he, so he's, he's yeah. going to continue to do that for the foreseeable future. He really does. Well, anyway, I think uh, uh, on on that lovely note, on that uh, after ranting on Greenwald, well, I feel a lot better after having ranted about Glenn Greenwald. Fuck Glenn Greenwald. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, exactly, exactly. I thought I do feel much better now. Uh, I would like to thank everybody for tuning in and listening to the Banter podcast. We really do appreciate you listening. Uh, if you'd like to support the Banter, uh, please um, go and get yourself a two-month free trial on a Banter membership. You can do that on the website on this uh, on the page with the podcast. Um, you can do it in your email too. That would really appreciate that. Um, you can make sure you're subscribing to us on Spotify as well so you can get the podcast straight on Spotify leave some comments below we really do like it when you comment because we'll get involved in the comment section um, take part in the banter chat threads as well if you remember uh, there's some good stuff going on there we've got a good discussion from Friday on who the most dangerous Republican is so jump in there if you remember and yeah thank you all for listening and we'll see you next week <laughs>